welcome to this very special episode of Your Time in the Run, the Hunted Podcast from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstone, and joining me as always is my fellow Brit who's prepared for this podcast by leaving himself with some alcohol and pieces of art, Anthony Williams. Good evening. And the Australian whose Twitter name reflects her stance on life, because I'm pretty sure that some bears eat their young, Michelle Pierce Denovan. <laughs> Good morning. And I'm very pleased to say that the reason our hearts are beating so fast right now is that we are joined all the way from wherever Hilmar is hiding right now. It's our favourite team from the American season, Lee and Hilmar. The the interview that everyone has been waiting for. I worked it out earlier. You are the first winners ever to appear on this podcast. What we're talking about, you might be the first. The highest placement we've had before ever was third, and that was Joe and Bill from Amazing Race. Wow. Wow. Well, it feels good to be the, uh, the first winners. I'm sure that there will be many, many more winners to come, and hopefully this is the start of a, uh, Hunted U.S. tradition. Yeah. But we're going to set the bar high. Yeah, we're currently in Jackson, Tennessee, just so you know our uh, our location. I'm sure that someone is watching you right now anyway. I'm sure that someone can just ping your GPS to me right now. Oh, no, no, completely. Griff, Griff is, uh, you know, at the end of Ocean's Eleven where they're still tailed by uh, the uh, the bad guy's henchmen. Like, Griff's still outside of our uh, door just looking in with binoculars, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And we think we think that there's a pretty dang good chance that Black Cat Charlie is listening in on this call. Oh, completely. All of our calls. Yeah. Aki Cat was a long time ago. I love Black Cat Charlie so much. He's just, he's an international man of mystery and I love it. I love his friendship with Sherlock as well. Did you, can we have, can we have a moment of just, um, maybe a moment of silence for Black Cat Charlie running? <laughs> oh. Did you hear <laughs> I did not know. His, his his beloved bunny passed away Aww. this week, and it was. Yeah. I, I'm not an animal person, but my like I've already have like the utmost respect for Black Cat Charlie. But it was the most tender, heartfelt, genuine post that I have maybe ever read about an animal going on, and it was just it was really uh, it was heartbreaking, but it was also really beautiful. Like we get to see like when you read this post on Facebook about Black Cat Charlie's bunny. You get to see a piece of Black Cat Charlie's soul. Yeah. He's not just a genius no. with, you know, uh, not just, yeah, robot boxes, you know, like slave box. No. <laughs> he's a man with a soul. Yeah. And I think alongside you guys, he's probably going to have the most impact on the third UK season out of anyone in the US one. We obviously had some, some big crazy ideas on the show, but what he did, he was tender was mind-blowing to me. Mind-blowing. Like, those two, Will and Miles, they had a a pretty good shot at winning the whole thing until Flat Cat Charlie showed up with his genius idea. Yeah. What blows my mind more is the fact that there was a second operation that no one knew about until he told me. Yeah, that was fascinating. How did you guys find out about that? Uh, We're friends with Flat Cat Charlie. He's a friend of the podcast. What can I say? (laughs) I love it. We got friends in low places. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. yeah, I mean those are those are the things that again you you know like you, you guys have pointed out. I mean it it's how the game is going to evolve, and it is terrifying that they can you know make something like that happen on Tinder. Though the question, the real question I have is if you can help my love life with that same operation. <laughs> 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 It blows my mind that there hasn't been a single iteration of Hunted that hasn't had a winner yet. Because at some point, they're going to win. I just don't understand how it's not happened yet. 
That is that is a valid point. That is a valid point. All we cared about is making sure that we were not on the uh, the season that had the exception. No, it's true, and it, <laughs> it's a. I mean, it's a hard numbers game for you know. Even though they have all the resources at their fingertips, you know, it's it's they are doing some mad sleuthing. Uh, you know, to get the information that they get on, uh, people. And, uh, that's, that's what's really impressive. Yeah. And I've actually, I, so I've been doing some, some research on this because obviously there are, um, people out there on social media that are very vocal about the game being slanted in favor of the hunters. And uh, I mean, I definitely, I definitely can see it. Like I can understand where they're coming from. Like we were scrutinized, uh, to a degree and, um, you know, to a degree that we weren't comfortable with, but, the more that I researched like real life manhunts, the more I realized that like, yeah, there were 32 hunters and yeah, they had a lot of resources, but in, in real life, like it's completely limitless. Like the number of, of bodies that they can throw at a real manhunt, the number of dollars they can throw at a real manhunt, the number of hours in the day they can throw, throw at a real manhunt. I mean, an example of what I'm talking about is that after the, um, the, the horrifying Boston Marathon bomb happened um, a handful of years back. Uh, the, the two bombers were on the run for 108 hours, and they had the. I mean, everybody was chasing them. I mean, there was there was a blank check to basically give them whatever they needed to chase these two guys. And you know, so when it comes to hunted, the, the simulation of a real life um, manhunt game. Like the hunters do have some restrictions that they're not accustomed to. Yeah, they're having their own challenges. I guess is the point that I'm building to is that they have their own challenges to deal with. Just like we had to overcome a lot of stuff while we were on the run. That's one of the best things about the show is you know you have all these people that have had these storied careers. You know that are just so good at what they do. Um, and you know they just have like Buck who was on us. I mean Buck is Buck is like one of the best fugitive hunters in America. And, um, you know, you just have a, a huge appreciation for what these people do in real life. And uh, a lot of people are like, you know, is this, are you giving away secrets to real fugitives? Like, nah, man, like these people are so freaking good. And they're not even showing you like most of the stuff that they're really doing. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And just have grown in my appreciation for just all the services that keep us safe. So with all of that high praise of the hunters, we're now ready to talk about how we crushed them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. (laughs) So with Buck being one of the best man hunters in the country, was he then punished by having to pair up with Griff? (laughs) I I imagine there were a lot of times when uh, Griff thought that he was talking to Buck, but Buck was probably taking a nap, and Griff never realized it. (laughs) (laughs) I can only make these jokes about Griff because I know that he heard how much we love him from last week's podcast. Yeah, and we've we've had the opportunity, and you, you guys have seen the picture of uh, us holding the money and standing on Griff's back. Mm-hmm. It was taken pretty soon after we, we beat Griff in the game, and uh, we really had a lot of animosity towards him while we were on the run, and all of that dissipated the moment we met him. I mean, he's just a very gracious, kind Southern man. He was a great loser and he's become a really dear friend. And it was his idea to lay down on the ground and take that picture. Uh, So it was was really cool of him. He's become a really good friend. I think it says it all that he texted Beth as soon as you'd won just to say, well done. 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah exactly right. And we, you know, when we got done and, you know, got off the plane and they're obviously still standing there, you know, it's not like we're like, oh, we want to run up and talk to the hunters. Right. I mean, it was it was pretty nerve wracking just to be like, all right, these, these guys could still kill me. Um, you know, so, so you're yeah, we were like pressed to the side of the airplane and like we saw their faces whenever they pulled through the gate and they were burned up. Yeah. That they knew that we were about to take off and it was done for them. Yeah. So they were that close then? Yeah, yeah. it was close. Yeah, it was definitely very close. So there wasn't any CBS trickery involved? No, 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 no. It was what you what you see is what you get. Yeah. Unless there is the threat of the old woman being a, a hunter decoy for you at the airport. <laughs> Look, if you if you and look at that woman's face, she was frightening. <laughs> she, she pulls up. She pulls up in her. That's I guess the first land sedan that happened on the show. So she rolls up in her sedan and like just pauses there for a second and then keeps going. Yeah, and that was that was a gut check. Like we almost we almost sprinted out the door and got in our car and peeled out of there. Yeah, and again, but you just you know the thing the thing about the 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 show is. That, you know, we're saying, okay, that's an old lady. Then she leaves, and then we're like, wait, is that a decoy with the hunters? Did they they just pay someone to drive in here, check it out, and then leave? You know, like, that's how paranoid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how paranoid and how many steps that you're thinking ahead. um, Because, you know, you don't know, are these hunters undercover? Are they pulling, you know, uh, you know, one of the things that we prepped for was canine units, which was by far the most terrifying tactic that we really researched was we go run into the woods to camp and hide and suddenly they send a canine unit out, you know, uh, after us. And just those types of, you know, undercover techniques plus the canine units when you're out and about and you're keeping off grid, you know, they're just, uh, they're just, they're the worst. Yeah, I, I can imagine that being chased by German Shepherds is not your ideal situation when you're on the run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we decided no. to stay inside of cars so yeah. we could close the door and just be caught in a civilized pattern. <laughs> Eating taco box. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was going to make that joke, damn it. <laughs> All right, you preempted me. I know, I know too, and she actually, uh, she came to our premiere party in uh, L.A., and uh, she is actually... Super smart. So I feel I feel bad uh, for them that they got caught with the Taco Bell. But you know they really had some clever tactics that you know uh, unfortunately we won't be able to see. And so I was I was really uh, you know shocked to to see how well they played the game up till the point that they went to Taco Bell. If you guys had got caught because of fast food, which one would it have been? Chick Fil A, probably. Yeah. We actually we we consciously said we would not go to Chick-fil-A anymore day eight because it could be a pattern. Yeah, we were very committed. You you won't be surprised by this, but one of the the things that as an escape room creator that I'm really good at is is patterns. And so I was constantly looking for patterns in our movements and our behaviors and our communication. Uh, Anything that I thought that could be profiled or, or figured out in any way, shape, or form by the hunters we were always kind of trying to eradicate from our um, our decisions. So if we ever went and ate at the same restaurant twice, we would never go to that same chain restaurant again. 
just because we never we, we wanted to be overly cautious about those things. And there's a certain way as a fugitive um, that paranoia is your friend. And that's that's one of those ways where you just overthink that kind of stuff. And that, guys, is probably why you won. <laughs> it, could, it could be it could be part of it. Yeah. 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 And the other bit is because you were just spectacularly trolly with the hunters and distracting them. Yeah, but we, I mean, yeah, we trolled the hunters, and yeah, we antagonized them. But one of the things that we were very aware of, and we actually learned this from uh, Ricky in season one of Hunt of UK, is that we didn't want anything that we did to be driven by just pure ego. Um, we didn't, we didn't want to lure them to a cabin so that we could just sit in the woods and just watch and gloat. We wanted everything to have a payoff. Yeah, we wanted everything. No, you so, wanted an airplane. That's what you wanted—an airplane <laughs> and a pregnant You're wife. Right. Seriously. <laughs> At that point, all right, Michelle, you're right. We did get our ego in on that one. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> At that point, we did want—we did want to say, "All right, Hunter, you have all your toys, but you ain't got an airplane." <laughs> we got an airplane. Pilot uh, Tim's coming to bring my wife. Yeah. Pilot Tim is more famous than Lee and I combined right now in Jackson, Tennessee, in the surrounding <laughs> area. Yeah, we're nobody. Yeah, it's awesome. I think the question that every, is on everyone's lips is how the hell have you got a friend who is a pilot? Elmore yeah. has many friends that have our pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I won't brag on that, that part, but yeah, there was. I, so my dad's a, a pilot. He was a pilot uh, uh, growing up. And so I was really aware of uh, aviation laws and, uh, you know, municipal airports, things like that. And so one of the things that I did, you know, just thinking through resources before we went on the run was what do I have available to me as far as my contacts go? And it was, you know, two of the big pieces that I really looked at was, okay, a boat could be really, really, really helpful. And a plane could be really, really helpful depending upon what type of, you know, scenario we got into. And um, so obviously uh, we we utilized our uh, Ace of Spades with Pilot Tim. So it was a lot of fun. One of the things that's really important to know about Hilmar is that anytime, like anytime you walk into a room with Hilmar, like number one, he gets all the attention. But then number two, he always... Uh, is very deliberate to scope out the room and identify the most interesting people. And every single time he will walk out of that room having made fast friends with that person. And so he just collects <laughs> interesting people. His Rolodex, his phone contacts, contacts uh, are, are crazy. I'm guessing you guys wouldn't have been allowed to fly. Yeah, there is a, a, a strategic reason why we did not get on the plane. Yeah, we, we could not leave the ground without holding a quarter of a million dollars. That makes a lot of sense. And the other part of it is the fact that it's hilarious to fly in Beth. That was what was fun because they essentially, you know, they uh, at that point in time, we knew we had about 10 days on them. And, uh, you know, we had quantified how and where they're going to information. You know, and one of the big pieces was, you know, a couple of them really profiled us wrong. Um, and so they were going after uh, a group called Impact 360 that I was part of. And so they're interrogating them, and we knew it. So, But they were fixated on that group. Yeah, yeah. They, they just seemed absolutely confident that if we were if we were hiding, we were hiding with this particular group of people. Yeah, and so that really freed us up to make even more, you know, uh, more like uh, deep dive moves. As far as just, I mean, I would, I showed up to my dad's childhood 
best friend's house unannounced. And within like two minutes, he tossed me the keys to his mom's car and said, you know, go win this thing. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was folks like that that made us be able to pull off what we did. And then on top of that, then it allows for us to have the time we need to execute something as big as flying a plane under the noses of ex-CIA, NSA, and all this stuff. And it was just, it's, it's been awesome because they're like, everybody saw Amazing. that on television. They're like, no freaking way. So it was, it was great. Even though I'd heard about it before I'd watched the episode, I was still just gobsmacked that you managed to pull it off. Yeah. With no heat. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that that we were surprised about as well. I, yeah, it was, there's a lot that, you know, in the background, you know, like we even put in a different flight plan that put it into, uh, was, uh, near Tampa. And so there's a lot of maneuvers to that to make it, make it work without a hitch. But, um, yeah, it was, it was way fun to do. Hold <laughs> that. When you found out you were going to be cast, to when you went on the run, how much planning time did you have there to work out all this stuff? Um, so we we had a while, I mean several months to just kind of think generically about strategy. But we didn't we didn't know any of the specifics until forty eight hours before the whole thing began. So there wasn't really a way for us to have any set plans that were made. So every everything that you saw us do, like none of that was lined up in advance. We knew the resources that we had available in that area, and we knew generally how we wanted to tackle the game, what our strategy was going to be, but none of our tactics were defined. And that was a really essential um, aspect of the game that we played is that we always knew what the plan was in general week to week. But every day we were inventing a new specific way of accomplishing that plan. Yeah, and you saw that guy, uh, Larry, who, who Larry, he'll watch friends. And he, I mean, that guy's a badass, first off. I mean, he is epic. Um, but one of the things that he really said to us while at his house was, hey, you guys need to stick with your strategy, but be willing to change tactics depending upon where you are. And that was incredible because suddenly you invite people into your game in a way that you're not dictating. You're just saying, hey, we need to go south, which was basically week two for us. And then how would you go south? And then suddenly everyone gets super creative about how they would go south. And you're like, I didn't even know that was an option. And they're like, yeah, you should go this way or that way. Or, oh, maybe I could get someone to do a ride down to here, you know, and and that's what was really mm. impressive um, as far as our crew. Um, you know, they just put up the best defense and they just did the best job of keeping us safe, um, playing this extraordinary defensive game so that Lee and I could really focus on, you know, our game and, and really making sure that we're playing the right offensive game. And so, um, that was, you know, you know, allowing people into our tactics and being willing to change tactics, uh, was just a real, real strong move, um, that Larry served up for us. Basically, you didn't put it on a calendar. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We any any notes that we had made beforehand were like literally in a waterproof bag, uh, buried in a friend of a friend's closet, where they would never be found. <laughs> Did you ever go to do something and your cameraman just went, "Oh no, you're not really doing that." <laughs> no, no, no. The camera. I mean, 
a lot of people a lot of people have fixated on the camera the question of the camera doesn't isn't the camera unfair like isn't it a distraction isn't going to get you caught um and i i just think that the camera is just part of the game it's it's one of the thousand variables that you are constantly having to juggle and it's your job as the fugitive to make sure that that camera is always used as an asset and not a liability for your for your team and so you know, if somebody were to get caught, and I don't think anybody did, but if somebody were to get caught because their camera got seen, that's on them. Like, yeah. that's that's on them to be managing that person and making sure that they're not creating a, a vulnerability. So, um, yeah, yeah, we we were never really that concerned about the camera. It took a it took a minute mainly to just adjust to having to constantly verbalize everything that you were doing mm-hmm. and narrate all of your decisions and your actions. But after that, you're just going with the flow, and they're there to document all of your decisions, and you don't really even think about it. Yeah, um, that was really interesting because the it, it does feel like you know you're in a, a a documentary, right? Where they're not impeding your your movement at all. But what a lot of people actually don't realize is it's way stranger for Lee and I to have huge backpacks on our back walking around an urban setting. That that's what actually triggers a lot of people looking over. You know, first off, you know, like I'm six two, I have a big backpack on, I have sunglasses on. Lee's doing the same thing, so I mean, that that's actually what's really jarring to people. Um, and that's when you really have to you have to play a social game because again, like with Will and Miles, you know, they got caught because they're you know someone that they're staying with that wouldn't sell them out. Their friend heard that someone was staying there and could get a reward, right? So it, it's a way more of a social game that you're really playing and not just this kind of like us against the hunters all the time. And, you know, when it comes to uh, you saw a couple informants happen, things like that, I mean, you got to be real careful about who you're going into, whose house you're going into, and, and being a really good guest. And really making sure that you're uh, bringing them into your story, um, that you're limiting, you know, access to this story a little bit, but also just really getting people on your team. Um, and I think that, you know, in our season as well as future seasons will continue to play out as more people are aware, like, oh, cool, I can call in on the hotline and get $500, you know? I mean, that's going to be, that's going to wreck teams in season two if they don't account for it well. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's real fascinating. I think we saw that in the last UK one with Nick and Sarah, friend of the show, who was the last person to help out Nick and make sure that he won. But if you've seen the pictures on social media, she got her entire family involved. That is the power of of hospitality. And it's also, uh, it's also the power of, of, so one of the beautiful things about Nick is that when Nick was like, you could just tell from watching Nick when he was playing the game that when he would go into somebody's house, there was no pretense. There was no, um, okay, now I need to figure out this person and how to flip them and turn them into a resource yeah. and use them to advance my game, right? He wasn't using people and you knew that he wasn't using people and you knew that that person knew that they weren't being used. And because of that, they bought into what was happening and they wanted him to win and they wanted to be a part of it. And it became the adventure of a lifetime for them as well as Nick. And so all of a sudden there's this level of, of buy-in 
that you just can't get if you're trying to use people up. Yeah. And that was something that we, not only did we learn it from Nick, but that's just kind of part and partial to who we are as men, that we really value hospitality and we really value being present with other people. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we come in and meet Topher or Dana and Oliver's in Savannah or all these other people that we interacted with, each and every one of those folks that we met along the way, they knew that we were with them and we cared about them and we were excited about what we were doing and they should be excited about what we were doing. And because of that, they should protect us and they should volunteer any resource that they're excited to give to further the cause. Um, and, and that was, that was what was really awesome was, you know, again, you're, you're welcoming someone into essentially the chase into the game. And then they were able to be creative in relationship to the game um, and then that when Lee and I would leave, then suddenly if they, you know, if a mistake was made or if things were, you know, went wrong, they were also able to say, wait, I can fix this because I, I'm playing the game. I'm, I'm part of the game. And so they weren't relying on, you know, uh, myself or Lee to get knowledge or to say like, how, how should I fix this for you? They're like, well, we're just going to cover our tracks real quick. And um, and that was just really really cool just to see I think our whole team you know play at such a phenomenal level. King of the nerds and friend of the podcast Matt Barr, King of the nerds, has asked about your trolling tactics because he is the king of the nerds and the king of all this sort of move. So he asked, what other troll tactics and fake Craigslist posts didn't make it into the edit? Um, okay, so you know the the. A hybrid wolf puppy named Buck, which is my personal <laughs> favorite. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> and then um, I actually, at one point in my life, worked as a junk hauler. And uh, that is when I learned that people go crazy for used bikes on Craigslist. <laughs> and so I knew that as soon as we posted that, that there would be hundreds of phone calls coming into that number. Uh, we also uh, posted Hillmar's truck. <laughs> for sale that he was like actually trying to sell at yeah. the time. That was awesome. Because <laughs> um, they couldn't find it. Yeah, I like that they had a backup plan. If we don't win the money, we'll, we'll at least sell the truck. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then um, I, I posted a uh, an ad for uh, uh, for um, blood pressure medication, uh, like organic blood blood pressure medication. <laughs> And then the the one that I was really excited about that actually got rejected by Craigslist is that I tried to set up a personal ad for Griff. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if like the physical description that I gave for Griff broke the system or what, but at that point it, it flagged us and it shut us down. So I couldn't get that one up before we had to, uh, to get out of that house and move on. Can you remember any of his personal ad? Because you know I want to hear it. Everything was like that was such an intense time. It's hard to remember all of the specifics. Uh, and then also, oh, this is a fun fact that you'll enjoy. So when Beth flew in, when we flew her in, she brought with us photos of Griffin Buck that oh. she had found on the uh, the internet, and and we had an accurate photo of Buck, but we had the wrong photo of the wrong Griff, and so. I think that oh. I tried to describe this uh, skinny, graying, leather-skinned man <laughs> on Craigslist, and it, it just didn't like it. It just did not compute, and yeah. it bounced it. Do you know how many calls they actually got? Was it in the hundreds? 
Yes. yes. Yeah. According to Griff, he got somewhere between 250 and 300 calls in response to the ads. Yeah. And that's all during that, like, that's like day, like 26. So like, think about them trying to find this plane in the middle of Georgia while they're still getting calls about my Tundra <laughs> and a bike and a wolf puppy occasionally, you know, it's just like, I would just have loved if they were on their, their way to like find us at that plane. And they're still like, no, we do not have a bike. Thank you, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're in there. They're in there trying to interview Topher, and their phone is just going, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the pocket, like over and over. And that's that's the thing is that, like, I mean, a lot of people like they see the the way that that those moves are presented, and they think, oh, these guys are trolling. They're cranky. Like they're just trying to mess with the hunters because they're like bored or entitled or whatever. Well, yes, and, and, you are, <laughs> and it's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's fantastic and it's satisfying and it's like, you know, mud in their eye. But more importantly, what we were doing is we were playing an information game. Yeah. And early on, we we shut down and controlled the amount of information that the hunters had access to, especially when it came to Hillmar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Hill, do you want to talk about what, what you what you did in the beginning? Yeah. So, like, the, the basically, the first two calls I made was one to a friend of mine, John Mark to get us a ride to Rome um, and so um, get out of Atlanta. to get it out of Atlanta. And the second one was to Josh Whitson, who you saw later in the episodes, and he cleared out my entire apartment. I mean, took out all my furniture, took out every <laughs> scrap of information, uh, like all my drawers, everything, and loaded it into the Tundra that I was trying to sell on Craigslist. And then uh, left, when we left them specific instruction, leave the technology, leave the book and leave the art. And that was the only thing besides the taunting note in my entire apartment. So they, they walk in, right? And now we have quantified exactly what they know about me, which is this guy likes to read a lot of eclectic books. He has some art. And here is these iPads that we and I are fully aware of what they have in them. So we were, we're aware of the contacts, we're aware of the emails, we're aware of the, the notes, everything that's in those things, we know how to quantify. And now it's kind of like, all right, guys, game on. And so they, we, we know what you know, and yeah. because we know exactly what you know, we're able to start dismantling your understanding of us and create disruptions to your assumptions about who we are and what we do and where we're going to go. Yeah. If nothing else, doing all those Craigslist ads stops anyone being able to call Book and Griff, which is hilarious because they are flying blind. You know, you're exactly right. Is it we were we were monopolizing his telephone? Yeah. And so any kind of communication. I mean, even if HQ had had this like breakthrough moment, they would have had a very difficult time getting through to Griff. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, we know we know where the vehicle is. We know where it's going. You need to get on the road. You need to get after yeah. them. And that's like you're exactly right. Is that that is the exact kind of thing that we were trying to do? Is move it from they have very little good information about us to they have a massive amount of disinformation about us that they have to devote man hours and time to sorting through. In the meanwhile, we're headed north to Blairsville, Georgia, to get ready for an airplane. Yeah. For season two, you guys have set such a high bar on just being really mean to the hunters. How on earth are people going to live up to this? 
But that's like fundamentally what we want people to understand is that hunted is a game. There's not the good guy, law enforcement, police officer, SWAT team, military intelligence people, and then the bad guy fugitives. There's the the fugitives, and there are the hunters, and they're locked head-to-head in a game. Best man wins. Best woman wins. Yeah. But ultimately, how does it feel to know that you've insulted the military? <laughs> <laughs> Look, despite what some people say, that was a, that was a brutal day. Where we're like, really, really, like, come on, we're guys, not, we're we're not disrespecting your relatives that are deployed on like overseas. Like, we're really not doing that at all. That was, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a tough day. That was not a very fun moment in our hunt experience. No. Nah. It, it, was, that, uh, it wasn't the reaction we were expecting either. It was just totally bizarre that people didn't see it as a game. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. It is a game. But do you think there's a, a difference between the way the two sides are portrayed between the UK and the US version? Because over here, I think most people are rooting for the fugitives. Uh, yeah, I mean, de- there's definitely different edits um, on the two. But, you know, with you. With the UK version, obviously, um, they have uh, a little bit more time on, you know, Ricky setting up, you know, this trap to bring everybody in. Whereas for the American version, they're a little bit more clear on, hey, this is what the hunters are actually doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm interested to see, again, how the game evolves um, based upon, you know, our season, okay, now in season two, um, how, you know, They've seen they've seen two winning winning um, uh, plays. They've seen the wolves go head to head with the hunters, and they've also seen the kings, you know, really uh, scrape and get you know get through and bypass and go around and um, just disappear. And so I'm really interested to see how you know season two comes because I again I think a lot of people were saying, oh yeah, well. Uh, you know, everyone will know everything now. I'm like, nah, like, we haven't seen how they utilize canines. We haven't seen Flat Cap Charlie and what he's going to do next. And we also haven't seen other uh, methods of transport, you know, uh, for instance, a boat. You know, how can someone utilize a boat to stay off coast for uh, a, cons- a consistent amount of time? And, you know, when Will and Miles got caught, I was I was looking at that. I was like, oh my gosh, if they get on this boat and they're able to start making a play down south, like they're going to be gone. Um, and so that was, you know, I just think it's real interesting. I mean, we had some great fun chats on our group chat just when we watched the episodes, just looking at the reaction to people saying, oh no, they're, they're insulting our military, just going, bitches be crazy. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Look at it for what it is. It's a game move, and it's hilarious. <laughs> the general yeah, public they're... just drive me crazy. The, the things that come out of their mouths about this show. <laughs> I mean, they really needed to have seen the UK season first because some of them just thought the, hunter, the hunters were just so penalised that, yeah, they should have the whole world available to them on a TV show, and it just drove me crazy. The amount of time that I have spent in the edit, this season especially, with Michelle just going off on the public, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's almost as much time as I've spent about her insulting her family. Well, it's, it's the only <laughs> thing she hates more. There you go. What are, what, what, what are your kids' names? 
I have I have ten year old Ayla and five year old Amber. Okay. So you do love them. Ayla and love Amber, him? hello from the wolves. You catch so much <laughs> You were, you were put on the spot and you remembered their names. You're good. You're good. I know. I know. And you know what? Ayla even watched the final episode. She said, I have to watch Hunted because, you know, I podcast every week. She said, I have to watch it. I have to watch it. Um, and she loved it. Oh, that's really sweet. We One of our favorite things that we were not expecting is um, how big of a show this has been for families. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we had so many friends and so many people online telling us that, you know, they're watching with their kids and having these really great conversations about what their strategy would be. And their kids are going and, and playing hunted in the backyard, which is really, really cool, really neat. And so we've been able to actually send uh, a bunch of videos out to kids from the Lost Wolves. And it's been, it's just been fun to like give that little thrill to kiddos that are excited about what they're seeing on TV. But I'm a little worried that there's going to be like this Lost Wolf syndrome with all these kids that are able to obey their parents, like, Every, you know, every uh, oversight with like burner phones and everything like that. And, uh, I'm kind of I'm waiting for the backlash. Hopefully, it'll be a couple years. Yeah, when they go out when they're 16, and the yeah. the parents are trying to track their phones, but they're really in Sweden or somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think we've made it abundantly clear that every single person who does this podcast regularly would be terrible at hunted. Maybe Michelle because she likes to avoid her family, but me and Ant would just be awful at it. I actually would be good at this game because I wouldn't need to contact anybody. I would just <laughs> go with the flow. See, for all Michelle's protestations that she doesn't hate her family, it's quotes like that that I can take out of context. If I'm doing a game and invested in a game, I don't need to see my family for that period of time because I need to win the game. Yeah. Michelle, I totally understand that. One of the, one of the things that was most freeing to me in playing the game is that I knew, I mean, I always say about Beth, my wife, that she, she doesn't need me, she wants me. And uh, so I knew that at home she was fine. Like, she was fine. She wasn't, she wasn't frustrated that I was away having this adventure. She wasn't sitting back thinking, gosh, I'm having to take care of this guy's kids. And, oh, this is so frustrating. And I wish she was here. Like, I knew, I knew that she was all in, completely focused on winning the game. Uh, and was on my team. And that like really freed me up to play the kind of game that we needed to play in order to be completely fearless in the face of capture. Did you guys have to contact friends or family? Uh, no, not, not at all. Yeah. The first time that we contact, we got a hold of Beth through actually uh, another means, um, I was terrified. I mean, I really, it's like, it was an action. Yeah, yeah. Was it a butt dial? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I butt dial. That was good. Uh, yeah, and it, you know, it's, it, Beth got a burner phone, um, which made it uh, safe for us to occasionally do it. But there's also technology out there that can track towers, so we, we use it very uh, in a limited way. But um, yeah, no, I mean that was uh, that was a really interesting part about this is how do you how do you leverage communities and how do you leverage friend groups um, and how do you you know how do you really snipe uh, you know, certain contacts within those communities. Um, so when it comes to, you know, fa- friends and family, you know, I've, uh, a lot of my friends actually realized that, you know, we're playing the game, like, holy shit, Hilmar's not going to contact us. We can do whatever we want. And so that made <laughs> them go bonkers, which was wild. And so that was, you know, it's, and I think that's what's fun about the game is once you're in the game, everyone's playing the game and they have to play the game because 
hunters are coming in asking for, you know, various biographical information, you know, be like, hey, well, would he run into the woods? Would he do this? Would you do that? Um, so it's, it's a lot of fun, but I would not suggest contacting any, uh, you know, immediate friends or family, uh, to be, uh, to, if you want to get out. Yeah, don't call Amber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is Beth around? I've got a question for her. This is the Beth Wilson. Hi, the Beth Wilson. Michael, Michelle, and Anthony. Hey. Hi. <laughs> You guys have become part of our uh, our weekly ritual. I know. We, uh, we oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle tells way more dirty jokes that I have to cut every week. Oh, good. That's it. That's it. No surprise here. Anyway, Beth, we, we've had a question for you. Prepare for this because you're going to love it. If I give you 30 seconds, can you name the hunters? Go. Oh, my gosh. Okay, when does my time start? Now? Oh, going. Oh, yeah, now. Oh, okay. Go. Uh, okay, Mike, Aki, uh, Commander Clark, Teresa, Landon, um, come on, uh, Black Cat Charlie, Zara. Um, I'm not going fast enough. Okay, then we've got Griff, Buck, Cortese, uh, Allie, uh, Pretty good. Very good. I am impressed. You you beat Michelle, which isn't hard. Wait, no, no, how hard. many did Michelle get? Michelle got six. Oh, Michelle. <laughs> I know. Well, I didn't know. It was early in the morning. I just got out of bed. <laughs> I know. I actually thought about doing, I feel like that should be a post every year where you need to stay it as fast as possible. <laughs> well, I have to surprise you with the timings because otherwise you can prepare. I mean, I heard you did do some preparation. I've had a tip off on that. I should have known it was coming. I should have known, but I don't know. You've been practicing. I've been practicing been a while, though. I was caught completely off guard, just like you. And now I'm not <laughs> yeah. Your lovely husband did warn me that you'd been practicing, so I, I couldn't resist. Oh, we did yeah. set you up. I told him you should do that. Okay. Is he, get, is he getting me back to the butt dial? <laughs> okay. uh, while we're on that topic, on the butt dial, I, I heard a rumor that uh, the slashing tires thing was a real thing, but we didn't get to see that. All I'm going to say is, wouldn't it have been nice if, if that came full circle? <laughs> We we will say it was not secret code for anything. Yeah, it wasn't. It was it wasn't real. coded. Uh, the, I mean, and that was a legitimate butt dial. And at that point, the boys were relaying messages to me via notes via a third party, and I'd gotten a very cryptic message that I just did not understand. And so I went to that third party, phone in hand and said, can you decode this for me? And looked down, and Griff's number had been pulled up on my phone. It was the most terrifying moment of the whole game for me. She didn't sleep for how many nights? A lot, because a quarter of a million dollars is on the line. Like, there are times in your life when you make mistakes, and you make a butt dial, and you have to save space, but you don't lose $250,000 because... <laughs> You accidentally called. Yeah, forget, forget the quarter of a million dollar gamble. That was the quarter of a million dollar yeah. It's just one of those things where truth really is stranger than fiction. So, I mean, I how could you plan that that I would 
not only butt dial grips, but that I would be with people at the time who knew where Lee was at and giving me plans. And I'm reading them aloud. What? When did you guys actually find out about the butt dial? Was it after you'd won? No. Um, so the butt dial was, for me, they, it was probably day 10, day 12. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, and we found out a few days later? Yeah, about the two-week mark is when we were able to connect, and I was able to tell them, look, honey, I did this one thing. I made a slight boo-boo. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no biggie. And that was like that was the the biggest test of my marriage, right? In that, in that moment, I got a camera in my face, and I'm thinking, "This is it. This is the moment that this entire experience hinges on." And like, forget the quarter of a million dollars. If I say the wrong thing right now, I'm on the couch for years. Time froze in that moment, and uh, I finally was like. That's, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I was impressed. I was ready for you to go to town. And I thought, oh, my God, he is being so reserved. He's pulling it all back. But inside he's going, what the hell have you done? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the uh, like I said all along, I was playing the game for me and bringing the money home for Beth. So, uh, it wasn't the money that was the thing for me. It was, uh, I wanted to beat the hunters. I wanted to show them that we were smarter and clever and that they couldn't catch us. And so um, ultimately, Beth would have been burning the money for herself, and I would have been cool. I will say this. It would have been a lot easier to get over losing the money from the butt dial than losing the money for collapsing on the side of the road while running to the airport. <laughs> yeah. When he when he got oh, yes. back and all said and done, he said, well, babe, we won, but there's going to be this one thing. You're <laughs> <laughs> not going to be very proud of <laughs> I fully admit that I would have no chance of doing a 5K, so I can't criticize at all. I was actually having, I don't know whether you guys know, amazing race flashbacks of the team who were right near the finish line and the, the woman couldn't run and someone ended up passing her and winning the million dollars. And I thought, oh, my God, they're coming. Quiff and Buck are coming. They're going to come and get them. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh gosh. No, that, that, was, that was what a lot of people were like, you know, did you know? I was like, you know, with the the surroundings, with where they could be, with what, you know, you know, how fast they could get to us, you know, I really did think we had 45 minutes, 50 minutes to, to get wheels up on that plane. And, uh, you know, that is one heck of a terrifying way to, uh, you know, go out with, you're just like, you know, you're so exhausted for 27 days of going every single place. And then suddenly you're doing a, you know, a 5k, which we don't like to do on a normal day. (laughs) (laughs) Would they have actually been able to stop the plane? Do you know? Yeah, we have, we have no reason to, to doubt their ability to stop the plane. Because I've, I've always been intrigued by this in the UK one as well. I'm not 100% whether they can actually physically stop the vehicle you're on. I'm being a modern jackass here and, and speaking beyond my, like, for sure knowledge. But I'm, I think that there are laws against driving a vehicle into an active runway. So the guess is that they couldn't, like, pull the SUV in front of us as we're, like, trying to take off. <laughs> so has that been an ending? <laughs> Word, <laughs> wasn't it? Point in which we made our approach and we are, like, in the process of taking off. Like, we were vulnerable. Yeah. It's way, way better on visual to have you guys sitting in a private jet making it rain. 
yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that a great moment? That was a great oh, moment. yeah. I don't know what was going through my head when I put that brick of cash against my face. <laughs> Man, it, made for, it made for quite the, uh, the moment. I'm still waiting for like a really fantastic meme to come out of that. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, I'm waiting for it. Yeah. Okay, so every time Griff and I had a little chit-chat on the phone, he would always end it by saying, well, I'm bringing him home to you real quick now. I can guarantee it. And um, he kept he kept reminding me that as soon as he would bring the boys home, he would he had a gift for Lee. And uh, do you want to guess what the gift was? I dread to think, knowing Griff. I'll give you a hint. It has to do with Tomar's shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a stuffed fox, was it? He was evidently he was having lunch one day with Buck and. Looked around the restaurant, and it was one of those restaurants that had, like, little things just kind of, like, up on the white wall for sale. And uh, he he spotted a a wolf that had been painted on a, uh, like, a dictionary page and ended up, for some reason, feeling inspired to buy it for us as a gift. And so whenever, whenever we won the game, he uh, sent it to us through one of the production assistants who delivered this gift to us, and it was a really... It was a cool moment. It was like yeah. getting us ready to actually meet him in person without it being like a an aggravated interaction. Yeah. Yeah, I was sort of worried that it was going to be some sort of disturbing gift to remind you of your own mortality or something. <laughs> no, you're, you're thinking of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I've, got, I've got you guys the wrong way around there, haven't I? Oh, I had a question for Beth. When you were going off to get on the plane, were you worried that someone was following you? Well, the really funny thing, I mean, of course, if you're going to call your wife and tell her, hey, babe, can you be at the airport on this day at this time? Don't bring this thing, but bring these things. What would you tell your wife who just put all the hunters not to bring? A phone? A phone, <laughs> right. So he was very keen on... Hey, whatever you do, do not bring your phone and drive a different car to the airport. And he assured me that if I did those things, we should be safe. There was a moment where some uh, an older person drove through the airport just to see what was going on. And I got a, I, I was like, is this what it's like? Y'all live in constant fear? Because it was literally in that moment, everything just stopped and they froze. I was like, is that a hunter? And he said, no. <laughs> that was her first shot of paranoia, the kind of paranoia that we yeah. lived in for 28 days. Yeah. Now, when they, I mean, mm. the, the bigger answer to the question is, when they, when we and I sat down and said, can we make this work? We're having a baby. Eh, go ahead. Like, we and Hilmar had planned this. If you're going to do this, play the game as with as much fun as you can. And I didn't, I had no idea that they could actually win it. I just wanted them to have fun. And so whatever that meant, I mean, I knew that they were going to play it a little bit more um, on the offensive. Uh, and other than that, if they, I, I did think that if he got caught, he would have gotten caught drinking some bougie cup of coffee <laughs> just because he had to. And so I said, as long as you don't, as long as they don't catch you like red handed in a coffee shop, we're fine. So go have fun. And, uh, and then when he called and said, hey, we've got this crazy idea. Can, do you think you can make this happen with the kids and fly out here? I was like, okay, if you think it's safe, I'll, I'll go. Did they put any trackers on your car? Did Sarah asked that. 
I don't know, honestly. Uh, that There's a lot of questions that I have that uh, we're still kind of like cashing out between uh, some of the Intel people on Twitter. So I don't know. We don't we don't think so, but we really don't know for sure. We think that primarily it was digitally she, they were surveilling her. Yeah. There was um when we were in Atlanta, we were using a rental car and um and that car we knew would be trapped. But other than that, um we just assumed like we just I assumed every vehicle that we owned was in play. Yeah. But, but I can't say for sure. And also, has Griff ever t- called you sweetie and does it make Lee jealous? <laughs> <laughs> he is, oh gosh. Well, Quantel, the very first conversation, I got his name wrong and I looked him up on Facebook and I thought that he was about 65 and retired. And so when he was talking to me, I was like, this is so patronizing. Um, Gray hair, gray hair, other skin, old mother skin. Yeah, just being mean to me. Well, you got the last bit right. He was being mean to you. He was being mean. Yeah, but that—that's part of it. I mean, but well, he was being mean to you, but he gave up as much as he got. Yeah, so, so that's the crazy thing. If you think about the strategy of the game, our first phone call where he says hey, what about this letter? That's the only reason that I knew that a letter existed and I was able to tell that to the boys. I mean, he gave up information and he didn't have to do that. And it might have been a mistake on his part, but it... It was a mistake on his part. Yeah. Whether he, whether he thought about it or not, it ultimately was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It protected us. And later in another conversation, I asked him what he was having for lunch and he said, mahi, mahi. And I was like, so you're by the coast. And I immediately put together, I bet they're in Charleston. You know, you, every, every conversation <laughs> you're trying to navigate. Uh, She's the brain of the operation. <laughs> <laughs> she was sort of back in your own version of command. <laughs> exactly. But Beth, really did you actually say that out loud to him? So you're by the coast? Um, yes, I did. He told me after That's the coast, he was like, I definitely, I definitely blew it there. Yeah. But <laughs> he's, had his, he's had his good moments on TV, so I don't feel bad about that. And we do have a question from Jay Schweiger on Facebook, who says, watching back to the replays and learning that their email system was not, in fact, compromised, how do they think the system would have assisted them? Well, so the purpose of the system um, actually was achieved pretty successfully. Uh, what we set up the system for was not to like chit chat with our pals. Uh, we sent out letters specifically to people that we knew that the hunters would target and target fast. Uh, I mean, our closest friends and family members. And we wanted them to be in on this covert electronic dead drop system so that we could gather intel about the hunters. And there are a lot of different um, security protocols that we put into place uh, to, to keep it safe and keep it protected. And, and one of the most important was after everybody got their letter, checked into the email system, you can actually go back through Gmail and look at the IP address of where everybody logged in to that system. And so we could see essentially if there are any interlopers, if there's anybody watching that couldn't be accounted for. And so like, we got a lot out of that system. Like we were able to figure out the kinds of questions that the hunters were asking, how fast they were moving, and so how far we could, how fast we could expect for, move, for information to move through their system of intelligence 
And ultimately, by the time we found out that it was possibly compromised, we were at the point where we were like, we don't really need this system anymore. And there's a bigger risk of continuing to use it than there is of us just burning it and moving on to the next plan. And so that's ultimately what we decided to do. So it was a little bit of a misleading edit then of you just sort of panicking about it being compromised potentially. Well, it, and I wouldn't say that. I mean, it, it, when you have eight hours to tell a story, you can't go into all of the specific nuances. And I think it's more that than uh, misleading. Yeah, but on top of that, where it does get it right is that just deleted really, you know, big pillars in our you know networks. So, you know, now, you know, getting in touch with, and you see this with the modern era and a couple other people, getting in touch with, um, you know, these peripheral people. Do we have enough peripheral contacts to stay safe and fly under the radar did become harder because they they found that really quick, um, you know, because of freaking USPS. But it also uh, hit us safe. But it hit us safe because now we had to be more creative. Um, and that's where I think it was really helpful as far as our networks go, is we had to become even more creative with who we were calling and not rely on, you know, um, uh, places that they were investigating. So um, it was, it, you know, I, I think that it was correct on how they, you know, we did it. it was like, all right, we're going to have to burn that and we're going to have to dig deep now. And we'll move on to some Reddit questions now. So... Uh, Trent A1288 says, at what point did you guys feel the most confident and at what point did you feel the least confident? Oh, um, when I was on the side of the road, I was pretty concerned because I knew, I knew going into that run that, you know, running businesses doesn't count as cardio, evidently. Like I, I knew that I wasn't ready for, for the physicality of that moment. Uh, and so when I started getting busy, I was, I was very concerned, uh, about, about that being possibly the end. Um, I don't know. When were we most confident? I think it was in uh, Live Oak when we set up the plane. Oh, yeah. Because suddenly we realized we had just enough resources to stay safe till day 28. And that's when we did all the homework to get everything ready. And it was just kind of like, all right, let's do this shit. And um, I don't know. That's 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 also when we talked to Beth and we found out. Then we were like 12 days ahead of the hunters. Oh, yeah. And that's also, yeah, we found out that Seth um, had been contacted by somebody, and we found out that we were 12 days ahead. So we knew what we, for resources we needed, um, or we had the resources we needed to finish out the 28 days. We had put all of our plans in action, and then we get this call from Beth saying, hey, you're 12 days ahead of the hunters' investigation. So we're like, game on. And so that's when we just started having some fun. Yeah. So we knew, and we knew that at that point we had control of the game. Like we had the ability to call the shots and we didn't have to worry as much that they were, you know, just around the corner or behind the tree. Was there ever the sort of thought of when you were doing these moves of actually, even if this doesn't work out, it's a fantastic TV move. The moment that you forget that you are playing a game on television is the moment that you, you you get off base and you forget what the game actually is. Yeah. So like that was something that we were aware of. We weren't trying to like ham it up for the, the cameras or do any kind of like silly goofy stuff like that. But you know, we were we were aware. We were paying attention. Yeah. I mean you know the way in which a real fugitive would run is different from how Lee and I would run. And, you know, we were able to, in our early research, tease out the differences between those 
uh, to, and that was one of the primary things that we needed to figure out through the first two weeks, especially gathering information and all that stuff is what is the game that we're playing, you know, and how, how does this game work? And then Lee's escape room minds, you know, started really constructing, okay, you know, here's, here's how this thing works. And then it allows you to uh, get creative and think outside the box. I'm not sure you guys could have played any differently in terms of, I don't think you're the sort of people who, who could do a Pennywise and Henry VIII and just sort of fly under the radar. You've kind of got to have a lot of fun with it, I suspect. Yeah, you know us. <laughs> you, you understand us. I mean, we really, we just don't have it in us to go and dig a hole in a swamp and hide in it for 28 days. Like, we just would, we would drive ourselves crazy and we probably would end up fighting like cats and dogs and it would just be a miserable experience altogether. We're just wired in such a way that we had to flaunt the hunters. Like, we, we had to go at them. We had to take a go at them. And I mean, I think that part of that is, is like Hillmore's background as a boxer. Like, he knows that, uh, kind of Muhammad Ali's famous times is that, um, you know, when you're in a boxing match, you have a plan until you get hit in the teeth. <laughs> yeah. And the moment you get hit in the teeth, like the plan is out the window and you're just scrapping. And that's really what we wanted to do with the hunters is they were expecting to be calling the shots. They're expecting it to be a cat and mouse game and they were the cats and they were in control and they were the ones that were calling the shots and they were the ones that could go in, interview mm-hmm. somebody and have all the swagger, all the confidence and think that they were the ones who ultimately were determining the pace of the game and you know they had all the information and all the resources and we wanted to let them know from day one that they were they were going to have to account for a completely different team that they were anticipating before this all started so that's where the note from the wolves came from that's where clearing out hillmar's apartment came from that's where all of the other steps along the way uh were put into motion is that we wanted them to be angry at us because we thought that they would lose their edge. Yeah. They basically thought they were playing cat and mouse. They were actually playing wolf and cat. Exactly. <laughs> so back to another Reddit. It's not really a question, this one. It's more of a comment. And it's from a likely story 12 who says, they are my friends and the best men I know. Just enjoy their company and tell them Anna A says she's so proud of them. Oh, that's really sweet. Thanks, Anna. Aww. And uh, the Magic Manor says, were there any moments that you think are really key to your game or your time in the run that didn't air on TV? If so, what were they? Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to tell us about the dolphins. You've been teasing us for for weeks about this. Okay, so so there is a there's a picture. So we called uh, one of Lee's contacts in Savannah and kind of just showed up, which was epic. And they took us in, and they became, I mean, super spies. It was incredible. Dana, Dana showed yeah. up in the show. He's driving us at one point. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Dana um, is, I mean, his whole crew were, you know, all these kind of uh, retired folks that basically just became these super spies. Like, they turned off all their cell phones. They were tracking cameras. I mean, it was crazy. And so they decided to hide us on all their friends' private islands with gated communities that all then utilize boat access to whip us around these islands. And this was a really key moment because while this was happening and we were, we were in kind of like Fort Knox of Savannah, 
um, we were playing a huge information game with the butt dial and uh, figuring out how information was traveling to the hunters and all that stuff. Uh, we opened up the email system at that point in time, getting a ton of new information. So it was wild. But at one point in time, you know, we're boating from one island to the other. And suddenly, you know, these dolphins, you know, swing out. And Annie Oakley, who is a legend in and of herself, uh, was like, hey, you guys want to go? And the first call. Yeah, she, she stopped that boat and I just jumped in. It was awesome. Like when I saw the post saying, yeah, we swim with dolphins, I thought this was just sort of hyperbole. But evidently not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was literal. And we had, I mean, I think I think that if you talk to all of the fugitives, they would be able to share these magical moments that they got to have that are kind of these these sacred memories that didn't they just wasn't space in the eight hours of hunting season one to actually see these things unfold. But they're 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 these cherished moments that we get to have and really uh, reflect on for the rest of our lives. And hopefully hopefully those kind of moments uh, we'll we'll see the light of day through web content or future seasons where they get to expand the format a little bit. And instead of eight hours, they have 12 or 13 hours to tell the full story of Hunted, what's happening in HQ, what's happening with individual Hunter teams, and then also tell you a little bit more about the experience from the fugitive's point of view. Yeah, and I think as you guys have seen, it's like, I'm just really excited, uh, you know, if uh, season two... Uh, picks up and they get like a 16 episode buy that they can really just dive into how complex this game is because it is wild. Have you talked to many of the other fugitives? Yeah, we didn't get to know them until after everything was all said and done. And since then, we've had the opportunity to kind of chat back and forth and get to know each other a little bit more and, and develop some relationships with them. Um, I've been amazed by just how brilliant all of these people are. I mean, they all had really good ideas and good strategies uh, for how to do excellently in the show. Um, I'll give you an example. I mean, Will and Miles, I mean, those two guys, like their strategy for just bouncing from person to person to person, like Michelle, I know that they're not your favorites, but (laughs) who ever could have saw Flat Cat Charlie's plan coming into fruition? Like whoever would have thought that somebody would be smart enough to use technology in such a way that your face would be plastered all over a dating app, that everybody would know who you are before you even got to their house. Like, that was just, I mean, like you just can't account for that kind of genius. And I, I mean, Will and Miles, like, they have the utmost respect for me in, uh, in, in the way that they're playing and tackling, tackling the game. And then Black Hat Charlie just outdid them. Yeah. I mean, Flat Cap Charlie, even though we nicknamed him that from the first week, he is just the man, the myth, the legend. I'm really quite disappointed we we saw less of him towards the end of the season, because I suspect he had some schemes. <laughs> he is a transcendent human being. He'll be back. He's yeah. going to have like some more magic moments in the future. I dread to think what he would be able to plan for the UK series, because I'm just assuming that he's going to be on the UK one this year. Sherlock will kidnap him and bring him over. I think that's what's like really fascinating about, you know, the future seasons is just, you know, how much more inventive the hunters will become as they get, uh, you know, used to the game themselves. Um, you know, they're, they're going to get better at interrogations. They're going to get better at, you know, tracking, you know, people within a, the game rather than a real fugitive. Um, and that was also a really refreshing part of, uh, post show was getting to meet some of the hunters where, 
to some degree, it was it seemed really nice for them because they were able to hunt good people and not you know you know really terrifying people, mm-hmm. and so it allowed for them to utilize their skills in a really fun way that wasn't you know in a really weird psychological space you know going after and they got to come back around and actually talk with us about the experience yeah and i have open frank conversations about what it was like for us to be fugitives when they don't get to do that in their day job like they don't get to go and talk to the criminal or the terrorist or whoever and hear about what was going on on their side of things so i think it was a really uh, really unique experience for the hunters as well do you think that it hurt Sherlock inside to know that he lost back to back to two very cocky teams? <laughs> I hope so. Definitely. Again, like utmost respect for him and what he does uh, every day. But yeah, our our goal was to like be just as cocky as Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Dowdy has asked, "What would be your number one piece of advice for another team wanting to compete in Hunted?" Do not. Send me a Facebook message or a Twitter direct message asking for my <laughs> advice. <about what laughs> because you're creating a digital trail. And if I give you good advice, then the hunters are going to read that good advice. So you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. So that's the number one tip from Lee Wilson. Yeah. My number one tip is to remember it's a social game. Um, and that you need to account for the Mary Scott Valentines of the world in your run. And if you're not, uh, you know, if you're not thinking about how to play the social game, um, then you are at a huge disadvantage. And run a 5K, guys. <laughs> I don't like those kind of people in the world. No, I don't have a piece of advice. I have a question for Michelle. Michelle, I want to know, do you think that Anthony or Michael could do this? I think I think they could as a team because they've got so much background information. I think they could. But I think Anthony would not ring his family, whereas I wouldn't be sure with Michael. I don't know whether Michael's a little bit of a wuss in when he'd when he'd go to say the forest or the bush, I don't think he'd be totally comfortable. I would hundred percent agree, but also I wouldn't apply for it, Michelle. So this is a moot conversation. Michelle, continue this line of conversation, which is so fascinating. Um, do you think that they're tough enough to yes. mentally handle the pressure of of, a game. of always being on the run and always having to assume that the hunters are around the next corner? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think Anthony, a hundred percent. Thank you. Michael, That's for the vote of confidence. Michael, be very careful, Michelle. Eighty-five. Eighty-five. Honestly, I think I would struggle with the paranoia. I think that that would get to me. I would hate almost everything about Hunted, genuinely, as a, as if you just did. I hold my hand up. Hunted is not a game for me. <laughs> Do you think that they would reach out to you? Whoa. No, no, they'd be stupid. <laughs> they would be stupid, and I would tell them so. Well, Anthony, the, the point that you bring up about paranoia, like it, it really... I mean, it really does weigh on you. Uh-huh. And that was why it was so important for us to make the decision that we were not going to be afraid of losing the money uh, and we weren't going to be afraid of being captured and we weren't going to like allow ourselves to let fear dictate anything that we did during the game. Mm-hmm. And the way that we combated that is we made it as fun as we possibly could make it. Yeah. Uh, and that's where all of our hijinks and pranks come in, like where we're trying to really fluster and mess with the hunters 
because it frees us up to breathe a little bit. And it also allows us to tap into a, a pool of creative energy that you just can't access if you're afraid. Yeah. That's, that's actually jumping off of that. That's one of the reasons why you see me wearing the fox print shirt and like a flower shirt and a couple other like more vibrant prints was literally just trying to remind people, Hey, this is a game because we are paranoid. I mean, we are, you know, thinking through everything and, and, uh, you know, going people. Yeah. We're freaking people out. And so you really have to calm people down and say like, no, this is a game. Let's have fun with this. Let's really do this. And when you can get people into that mindset of this is a game, suddenly they have fun with it. And, you know, to Topher's defense, Topher had, you know, got grilled for a very long time. He had just had three beers after his wife. He had not had any drinks for nine months with solidarity with his pregnant wife. And he had three beers for the first time, and then the hunters knock on his door. You know? <laughs> so like, like Topher knew like everything. You know, like I mean, Topher was a treasure trove of information. So if he's gonna give away, we went to the BP and had a bland sedan. Like I'll take it after three beers. Deep. It puts his it puts his um, facial expressions into context now. <laughs> he's trying really hard, obviously, to think. What can I what can I say and what can't I say? And he's trying to use a brain after three beers. <laughs> yeah. One question that I've been wondering for the entire season, were you allowed to separate? Yes, we could have separated. I mean you guys you guys are familiar with that. So there was no uh there there, there was no option on the table that we didn't consider. Mm-hmm. And and we did have a, a couple of conversations where we kicked around the idea of separating. But we also knew that we really wanted to end it together. Yeah. Um, and the, the difficult thing about separating is that once you separate, like, that's the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could have some tentative plan for how to reconnect, uh, but the likelihood of that plan actually working out is, is slim to none. And so ultimately, we decided to just keep uh, keep going with just the two of us and not separate because we wanted to, we wanted to run to the plane with the cash at the end. Together, I will say, and one thing you said in the last episode, or one of you said, I think, is made a comment about uh, wishing that the it was the same plane that we were going to, like the same extraction point. Mm. Am I making that up? No, no, we we discussed that quite at length. Okay, I I totally disagree with that, and the reason for that is that as a player in the game, if I lose my quarter of a million dollars, I want it to be for my wife's butt dial for me collapsing on the side of the road or for some other stupid decision that I make and not because the Kings make a mistake and the hunters are waiting at the plane because of something that somebody did that isn't in my control at all. Yeah. Or by that, is, that is a good point. Mm, Very good, good point. point. Yeah. I, I think we were more opposed to the fact that there was all the necessary hoops for you to jump through first. I mean, I would have been a little bit more frustrated if we hadn't been on the plane throwing the money in there. Yeah. It would have robbed us of the awesome shot of you guys making it rain on the private jet, and we wouldn't have got to see the private jet. But I, I think that, it, especially, I think in a season where you all start off in the same place, which they might do for season two, I think it makes a better visual if everyone's meeting up at the end. But, I mean, it would have robbed us of the great ending for you guys. It would have robbed us of the actual what-the-hell factor of the Kings winning and skipping 14 days. But I, I, I see you, point. The Kings are really scrappy. I just, I just cannot fathom how they were 
they disappeared for 14 days on the show. They had to skip 14 days on the finale. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was that was tough. But one of the there's some posts by uh, Hunted or CBS that said that they were. I think they slept outside 18 days, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So I mean, you know, they were they, they were working hard. They were working hard, and you know, having having been on the run. I mean, we slept in the car uh, to two or so nights and a couple other things. But I mean, when you're out with that level of paranoia, trying to find a new place to stay, keeping on the move. You know, whatnot. I mean, it, you are ground down. So even seeing how coherent they were to pull off that, um, that little, uh, stunt at the end, um, you know, it's just really impressive because, you know, Lee and I were, I mean, just completely exhausted day, day 26, day 27. Yeah. The one, the one piece that I wish that we had gotten access to with them is that I wish that we would just been able to hear from the Kings what their strategy was going to be. And I think that if, if we just heard in their voice, like, hey, here's, this is, this is me, um, speculating. Like, English is so much of a planner that we know that the hunters are going to assume that we have everything already lined up and they're going to be looking for the plan. And that's going to be the whole thing that they're focused on is like, we know she has a plan. Let's figure out the plan. And what we decided to do instead is reject the plan and just go with the flow. Like, if you have that nugget of information, then all of a sudden it opens up everything that they were doing, and you get to see, like, oh, they had profiled the hunters, they had realized what their vulnerabilities were, and they used those vulnerabilities to provide misinformation to the hunters, and instead did something that was completely counterintuitive, which is brilliant. You just see a little bit of that with Steven, right? Where, like, he, you know, she calls Amber at the last minute. And you just you see her like, no, 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 let's, like, let's shut this down, right? And him protecting his, his family from potentially really bad moves. That's kind of why I would love, I would love for them to have, like, a, uh, a webcam running in Hunter HQ mm. where you could actually, like, check in and see what was going on. I know that that's not actually possible at all, but that would be such a satisfying thing for me. I think what we need for season two is Flatcap Charlie doing his own web series from HQ. Oh my god, I would love that. That would That'll be spectacular. Be yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there'd be. Uh, I would love to see a tally board of how many nerds Max had eaten on that particular day. That would be great. How many? Uh, how many buttons the hunters had popped as a team from just eating the buffet food that I'm sure was available to them? <laughs> there'd be so many like mm-hmm. wonderful statistics to keep track of. It's hard for me to talk about the hunter side of things, you know, because I've, I've only seen such a, a quick glimpse at the behind the scenes. And the more, like, the more that I have watched the show and thought about the show, the more that I realized that, like, what we did as fugitives, like, the odds were stacked against us. Like, we had to work really, really hard to make it happen. Um, but I think that probably production had a more difficult challenge than even we did to be able to take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of film track tracking nine fugitive teams, nine hunter ground teams, 14 plus people that are in hunter HQ. And then like put that together in a cohesive way that makes sense and is compelling and energizing and details the capture of seven different teams and the escape of two different teams all in just eight hours is like a mind-bending task. I really feel for uh, everything that was involved in, in post-production and everything that happened in those editing rooms. 
I think Hunted suffers from the fact that there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that they can't exactly show that then it leads to people asking the stupid questions on social media. Yeah, for sure. It's why we need a season two. There's always that question of how it is still fair for the fugitives, and the answer is that this is the show, this is what you sign up for. That's right. It, it is It is a game, and the, the game, by definition, is a reality competition for TV that is a, a simulation of a real-life manhunt. And you play that game inside of a pressure cooker. And so you're always having to make decisions and move, and you know you're weighing good options and not so good options and like that's what a real life manhunt actually is it's just that cbs doesn't have time to document the next four years of our lives and my wife would never give me permission to leave for the next four years to do a real manhunt so i mean you have to you have to pack in a lot of choices because the choices are what creates the energy and the drama and the chase and all of those things that make the show so compelling. So it, it kind of bugs me when people float it out there. Well, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. This isn't fair. It's not about fair. Like yeah. it's, it's fair. Fairness is not the issue. Like it's a game. You can quibble with how the game works, but it's not a matter of fair and not fair. Fairness doesn't come into it when these rules are put into place to make it a TV product first and foremost, but also to just make it entertaining. Absolutely. And it's, it wouldn't be interesting if, if the, the two sides were equal, right? Like, it wouldn't be interesting if the hunters had a lot of people and a lot of resources and the fugitives had a lot of resources and a lot of people. Like, the, the excitement and the energy of the show comes from fugitives having to use their wit and ingenuity and limited resources to make airplanes fly into landing strips when they have no right to do that. Um, <laughs> because they just, they're just smart enough and clever enough and malicious enough to pull it off. What is going to be your next show? What show would you like to do next? Oh. <laughs> we want to create a new show, yeah. which is all about a heist. <laughs> okay. our, our inspiration for uh, who we are and what we did in this really, and, and Hilmar is really the one that, that kind of bore down on this, but it's the Oceans movies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was what was so much fun about it is, again, looking at what is, what is the game, and you have to escape this game and one of the things Lee and I were talking about is the difference between our personalities is Lee really loves to play the game and be inside the game and to punch people in the face in the game and I love to be in the game and play the game and get out of the game. He wants to get out of the game. Yeah, like that is like the most interesting thing to me is like how do I escape this thing as quickly and as and with as much like panache as I can. So I'm like, yeah, we should fly her in. That's a great idea because I think we can get out this way, you know. And that's totally ocean <laughs> Yeah, totally ocean twelve. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so it was. That was what was a lot of fun for us. Um, and I think someone, I can't remember how I got started, but someone's been floating this idea around that we should go on Survivor. And um, I was like, yes, I will totally go on Survivor if they, one, let me uh, create my own tribe, two, allow me to flag <laughs> down passing fishermen, and three, am able to heist, uh, or you know, to capture the boat and to like change all those things around. Um, but yeah, I would totally do Survivor. Do you that think that they would let us hold Jeff Probst hostage? Yeah, stuff like that. Like, you know, like that would be hilarious to me. What you're saying, Hilmar, is basically you want to be a lone wolf. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lone wolf that, that gets lost in the woods, and, you know, can just cause chaos. Yeah. Nobody knows where we are. I have to say, during the last episode of the show, I don't know, you were doing, you were talking to camera, both of you, and I can't remember what it was, but I thought I had ideas that you would be a great team on The Amazing Race. But then I saw the run at the end. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps not so yeah. much. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Amazing Race would be fun, but I, I think that the, the, the part about Hunted that really inspired us to do some crazy things is that like there are so few rules. I know that people like worry about, about the rules and they're like stressed out about the rules. We were never worried or stressed out about the rules. No. We just inhabited the world that the game created. And then we used every advantage that we could possibly find. And we made all of the choices. And I, I think that that piece would be missing if we were playing, if we were doing the amazing race. Because you really, you only have a few choices to make. And yeah, they're really big. They're really important decisions. And you get to have a big adventure. But we want to juggle the thousand different variables and figure out the best way forward. We want to have a battle of the minds with the hunters and really strategically have to show our abilities to show what we're able to do. And, and so as far as like games that are currently existing in the world of reality competition, Survivor is the only game that I know of that really does that, unless they bring back the mole. Preaching to the converted here. Absolutely. <laughs> Trust me, if there was a mole show on that was English language, we would be podcasting about it. Did you watch the um, UK season of Hunted before you applied, or did you watch it after? No, me and I were not aware of Hunted at all as a concept. So we were only able to watch uh, season one um, before... Uh, no, no, season two wasn't out yet, and so we were only really aware of season one, and so which again is you know helpful, but also you don't know how the American version is. You're, you're you know you're you're playing a new game, right? Mm-hmm. So they know that you're aware of the UK version, um, so you're now having to quantify like okay, we have no idea who's coming after us. We don't know what type of techniques they're going to be utilizing, which obviously you saw way more technology in the American version. So we, you know, we really had to just do all of our homework and play with a clean slate, but then take certain rules, you know, rules or ideas such as never make a move for ego, um, which we learned from Ricky. I mean, Ricky did a brilliant job playing the game, but he got caught because, you know, he played an ego move, um, you know, and so that was kind of uh, definitely a benefit of just analyzing, you know, this, this thing as a whole. I want to, inter- I, I would totally do Hunted International. Like get dropped in the UK and have to go up against uh, the UK hunters with you know just our American resources. Maybe like season season twelve hunted will be not like big moves or game changers. It'll be big balls. Stop! 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 Did you not see Sherlock's tweet yesterday? He's running. Yeah, he was. It was a tweet of him running. (laughs) Oh yeah, he was running. He's practicing. Yeah, mainly because the UK actually allows him to run out of the office and try and capture people in the last episode. <laughs> I still think that there are probably several times that he just, like, split out of HQ and just went and, like, tackled a random mugger in the street. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Just to feel some satisfaction. <laughs> well, he, he's, he's like a, almost a, a mythical creature. 
So he gets locked in a room two months out of every year. Let's just be clear. That's why he bursts out <laughs> to go and capture people. <laughs> He's just so stir crazy. <laughs> He had to get and Danny, Danny's out there like doing her thing, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, he he has to just kind of sit on his chair and you know listen to conversation. I have another question, Michael and Anthony and mm-hmm. Michelle. Okay, so in the states in America, when Matt and Christina received a lot of flack for those wigs, <laughs> right? <laughs> but wasn't it season one when she, when I can't remember those girls' names. The ladies the, got the caught girl. on the first episode. No, they didn't. No, they didn't get caught. They won. Oh, uh, Emily and Lauren. Oh, with the wig. Oh, with the oh, wig. You're asking about the yeah. wig. So okay. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, like, well, really, is that like a nod to, hey, we watched the British version. This isn't a bad idea. Yeah, but they didn't watch it close enough. I, I, just, I, I, I want to hear what Michael and Anthony have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, their, their wigs were not terrible like mine and Christina's first. Matt looks ridiculous. Secondly, neither of them were about six foot five tall. There's that. There's that. Emily and Lauren played a very ballsy game anyway, going back to see her son. They would not have got away with that outside of the first series. Yeah. Well, when Matt and Christina put on wigs, I thought, well, maybe we thought... Nope, this is not going well. Well, the wigs are just awful. The wigs, I mean, don't wear a wig when you are actually doing something that um, is going to be on camera. Wear the wig after you've bought your tickets or after you've been to the ATM and then disguise yourself. But don't wear it so that people see the disguise first off. It's just, it's not, there's no brains. There's no brains there at all. I'm sorry. Thankfully, Matt and Christina have been very good sports about us ribbing them to live in hell about that. Yeah, they really have. Yeah, they've been really cool. I've been I've been impressed with the way that they've uh, hung in there and, and been able to have a sense of humor about themselves. How great would it have been if uh, if season one of Hunted West had ended with Black Cat Charlie just drinking a beer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad we got to have this interview today. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was a real it was a real joy for us too. We had so much fun. I'm really sad that this season is over for us. I'm glad we got to extend it by a week, but I'm really sad that it, this is the final chapter of Hunted US for us for now. Well, it's been it has been a really uh, a huge treat for us to talk to you guys. We've been looking forward to this for uh, for a while now, and uh, it's, it's been cool to see it come to fruition and get permission to talk CBS and uh, to really dig into it. Like the, the thing that we love about you guys is that y'all have history with the game and you understand the the background of the kinds of things that we decided to do. Um, And, you know, you guys were impressed and amazed along with us watching the first couple of seasons of the Hunted UK. And so it's just been cool. It's just been cool to to know you guys, that you guys get the game and you're not in the process of learning the game the way that everybody in the States is currently still trying to figure out what the game is. Thank you. The feeling is entirely mutual. You guys made this season. I'm not going to lie. I'm not just blowing smoke. You guys did make this season, and you made it a lot more fun for us to cover. That is definitely true. It's it's been a great season to cover. I I think it is time to finally close the season, and you guys can stick around for the for the goodbyes if you want to. All right. Cool. Well, let's y'all do it. Okay. So, thank you for listening to this Hunted Podcast. This is our final Hunted Podcast of the season. 
and for the next couple of months. So it is probably going to be time for Ant to go into cryogenic storage for a little while. If you've got any questions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, Reality TV Warriors, on our Twitter account, RTV Warriors, or on Twitter pages, MJ Hobbs, for me, Balls Boy for Anthony, and Bear 3 for Michelle. And for the final time this season, your time on the run is over. Bye. Good luck with the edit on that one, guys.